Well, hey, we're here today. We're continuing a series called Co-Mission. And it's interesting that we're in a series on mission because in a lot of ways, we're now facing, right, the reality. We're kind of reminded that we're connected globally. We live here in the panhandle of Nebraska, in this region, but we're connected to a global world. And it's important that we are because Jesus has called us to go on mission and reach this world. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is our key verse for this series. It says this, but you will receive power. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus calling 120 of his original followers to go and reach the world. It's fascinating as we look at the book of Acts to realize that what Jesus commanded them to do and called them to do very quickly began to happen. It exploded on the scene. The movement of Jesus, the church of Jesus. And so if you want to turn to the book of Acts in your Bible or on your, um, on your app on your phone, that's where we're going to be today. We're working through the book of Acts in this series, looking at the beginning of the movement of Jesus. And uh, it's fascinating to watch. Last week we looked at how the church exploded in Jerusalem. It exploded in Jerusalem. You know, these four areas that Jesus called his early disciples to go and reach, that is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, many have looked at that down through the church age, the 2,000 years following Jesus, and have identified these four areas as regions that all of us can work to reach. And by translation said, Jesus is calling us to reach our Jerusalem. And what's our Jerusalem? Well, it's our city, our town. For us, Mitchell Breen, it's kind of a cluster of towns. Best I can tell, about 25,000 people live in this area in the towns, right, and surrounding areas, probably more than that if you get out into the country. And so, um, and so there's a lot of people that we're called to reach in this, in this area. And that's our city, our Jerusalem. Last week we looked at how we're on mission to reach our Jerusalem. Then you've got Judea, and Judea seems to be um, a little bit larger area reflective of what we would say is a state. So we're in the state of Nebraska. Now we also have people that are part of our church from Wyoming, and, uh, and so in our um, Berean Fellowship, we've kind of looked at a region being uh, western or eastern Wyoming, western Nebraska, and then so, uh, southwestern South Dakota. So kind of a region. But we also are part, you know, as a church, we're part of the state of Nebraska. So regardless of how we see that, we're reaching a larger area. And then uh, Samaria. Samaria seems to be, and many have looked at that, representative of the country that we live in. So we have a responsibility to reach the United States of America. And then, of course, the uttermost parts of the earth. This church is a part of reaching all of those regions. We have missionaries that we support that are pursuing reaching people for the gospel in all of those areas. As a church, as I said, we're on mission. We're trying to reach our Jerusalem. Today, we're going to look at how we're on mission to reach our Judea and what that means for us and how we're called to reach that larger area. Um, and we are. And then, of course, our country, the United States, and then the world. And so it's fascinating to me and encouraging to me to see that we are on mission as a church. And I just am calling us. As this church transitions through the generations, we've been around for several generations, and by God's grace, we'll be around for many more generations. And it is our job, each generation, 
to ensure that the mission continues. That this church stays on mission, pursuing the call and command of Jesus to reach these four arenas. And so through this series, I'm trying to introduce you to the missionaries that we support so that you know who they are. I believe that we have a personal responsibility, each one of us that are part of this church, to be connected to our missionaries, to know who they are, to support them and be connected to them. I'm going to share this again at the end, but I want each one of you to connect with at least one of our missionaries that you know who they are, they know who you are, they look to you as a person who's going to bring some encouragement, who's going to lift them up in prayer and have their back. And I think that's really important. So this is part of my hope for this series. We have uh, some, we have one missionary family that's able to be here this week. We had to shift one of our missionary families to a different week because of some illness. They're in this area, the Rays, but, um, but we're going we're gonna to have them come later in this series, Lord willing. But today we've got a couple of videos I want to show you up front as we start the service. One is of Dave and Missy Schroeder. Dave and Missy wanted to be here but had just traveled recently to Southern California. So not wanting to be those people that bring it to this area. So, so they said, hey, well, can we just send a video? I said, that's fine. And so um, they are a, a part of a very important ministry called Mentoring Timothy. Now, one of the things that um, I want to share is when I was growing up, and even my parents' generation, um, there was an encouragement on the part of the church for young people to go off to Bible college, to go to Bible college for at least one year. And oftentimes, for more than that, there was a lot of four-year Bible schools that trained Christian young people for ministry. And there was a missions movement and a a push to reach the world. And I'm just going to tell you that that has slowed down, seems to have backed off. And I'm not happy about that. As a pastor, um, as a person responsible for passing on the mission and the concern for the mission of God, I see that as unacceptable. We have got to resurrect the passion and concern to reach the world. And so I want to encourage you, Dave and Missy uh, Schroeder have started, um, or no, yeah, I got it right. Dave and Missy, they have started a, a gap year Bible program. All right, and this is to minister to students right out of high school to help them get grounded in their faith, transition to being adults. They're not going to live off their parents' faith anymore. They got to move into their own life. And so this is what they're about. And uh, each one of my kids has attended Bible college for at least one year. My youngest is now part of one of these type of programs called a gap year program, one year of Bible school. I want to encourage you, Christian parents, you should be considering uh, sending your kids to at least one year of Bible school of, of formation after they leave your home. I do think this is important. I think we need to look at the statistics and what's happening to our young people. And unfortunately, many of them get off to college, their face being attacked, and we're losing them. And so as, as Christians who are trying to pass on to the next generation, as parents, I think we need to be concerned about this and really look at the reality and say, look, um, you know, I was pushed that way. My wife and I met at Bible school. We were pushed by both of our parents and not made to go, but pushed and encouraged to get to that, you know, to get to that level. And so I think we need to look at that again. And some of these ministries are coming up, stepping into that gap. A lot of our four-year Bible colleges have gone away, but we still have that opportunity to be a part of and to see these one-year Bible school uh, deals go. I know, listen, I want to press in a little bit on this and just push you a little bit harder. You know, I know that the school system and the systems are set up to go four years to high school, then get, um, you know, get scholarships and all that, move on to college right away. And, and that, that's part of the movement. If you don't do that, you miss out on opportunities. And I realize that. However, Jesus said this 
a comment. I want you just to consider it, okay? I'm not trying to beat you up. I just want you to think about this. I think this is a big issue. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his soul? Okay, so when we think about our kids, we can send them off into success career-wise. They can make lots of money and be successful in the world if they follow the world's program. But if we lose them, right, then what have we really gained with that? So would you just think about that? Watch Dave and Missy. We've got a video of them. I want you to watch it right now and just consider what God's doing in and through them. Let's watch this video. Hi, Mitchell Brian Church. Hi, Mitchell Brian Church. This is David Missy Schroeder. Um, wanted to give you a quick update. Um, let you know that we work with Mentoring Timothy, which uh, Mitchell Brian supports and has for almost 20 years. We're grateful for that. Um, Mentoring Timothy is a gap year program in which uh, it gives young men the opportunity, pre-college, pre-Bible school, seminary, to come um, get some practical pra- uh, practical classes, get some theological, um, spiritual, biblical, and uh, also um, get involved in um, some week-long hikes, canoe trips, rafting trips, and then international trips. Also, all of that uh, with the opportunity for us to um, pour into each young man's life, see them develop, see them grow um, in their relationship with Christ so that um, when they finish our program, there's a clarity and an understanding that their life is not their own. We've been bought with a price. Um, and so therefore there's incredible stewardship that's entrusted to us. So, um, man, we're looking forward to hopefully having a pilot program start up very soon. Um, we're anticipating September um, in light of everything that's happening currently in our society with this virus. Uh, just trusting the Lord with all that. Our life is not ours. Um, so um, we look forward to the group that's supposed to come um, starting here uh, in June, looking at 20 plus men from Mitchell Brian. Uh, that's going to be a tremendous boost and a help to us. So uh, if you have questions, uh, well, would like more info, we have a Facebook page, Mentoring Timothy, and um, our website is uh, mentoringtimothy.com. Uh, so anyways, love you guys, appreciate you. Um, and now my beautiful bride. Um, we just wanted to let you know that we were very excited and anticipating and looking forward to coming and seeing you in person. Dave was just there recently and I and the kids were excited about being able to come and um, to personally thank you, hug you, inform you um, longer than three minutes time um, just for the amount of um, um, help that you guys have given us, not just financially, but through prayer, through support, through your love and care about what we've been doing. And we know we're not alone and um, you guys play a huge part and you've sent people before and you're continuing to send people our way again. And we can't even express how um, grateful and encouraging um, that is to us. Um, So although we wish we were there personally to thank you, this will do for now. And we look forward to hosting those who are able to come and um, possibly getting to Nebraska in the near future to um, show ourselves there again. So we just want to quickly appreciate all that you do, all that you have done. And um, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mr. Brian. Love you guys. All right. 
We've got one other family I want to uh, show a video, of as well, a video of as well. That's David and Crystal Knapp. Now, they serve with Ethnos 360. Um, that is one organization. If you look at our missionaries, you'll see we support a lot of missionaries that are with that organization. It used to be called New Tribes Mission. And uh, I've got a sister-in-law who served with New Tribes and a brother-in-law. So um, it's a powerful mission that has done uh, great things to reach the world all over uh, the globe and working to continue to reach that. The NAPS, my understanding is they're in kind of a supportive role, working on training and recruitment so the mission movement continues. So I think we've got a, a video of the NAPS. Let's go ahead and watch that now. The heartbeat of Ethnos 360 is a thriving church for every people. Ethnos 360 equips its members to reach and disciple unrich people groups wherever they are found. Of the 7.4 billion people of the world, 3.1 billion are unreached. As our founder Paul Fleming said in 1942, our efforts shall be directed where no witness of the gospel has yet reached. That still drives Ethnos 360 today. And when we go wherever God sends us, what happens? Relationships are formed, cultures and languages are learned, Bibles are translated, lives are transformed, churches are established. But that is a task of monumental proportions. Accomplishing this huge job efficiently and well takes a network of people each doing their part. Ethnos 360 needs each missionary to make the network function. God's plan from the beginning is for different people with different gifts and abilities to work together in different roles and capacities towards his common goals. engaging on the edges of the church, additional team members are needed as senders, donors and goers. Missionaries are needed to help individuals and churches connect to the work God is doing through Ethnos 360. God's plan is for all of us to work together each fulfilling the part in the network to which he has directed us and uniquely qualified us in order to bring others to him. Thank you for being part of the team. Thank you for partnering to see a thriving church for every people. mission of God began when Jesus came to the earth. God sent Jesus to walk among us, to take on human flesh, and to be uh, God among us, to walk with us, to heal us, to forgive our sins, to connect us to God. And Jesus went to the cross to sacrifice his life, fulfilling God's mission for him so that salvation could be brought to the rest of the world. 
Jesus, in dying on the cross, paid for the sins of all of humanity, the sins of those who had lived prior to him, those that were alive at his, uh, the time he walked the earth, and everyone who would live following him. He paid, he atoned for, the Bible calls it, atoned for the sins of the world so that by trusting in him, we can experience newness of life. We can be justified or made right with God. And so we have this great opportunity to spread the good news of that gospel around the world. When Jesus walked the earth, as I've shared after he left, he commissioned his disciples. And we continue to be commissioned today. And I want to encourage you through this series, I believe that we are called to do one of two things. We're either called to go on mission, to reach our Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth, or we're called to send. And to be senders, which most of us will be, not a, a large percentage of any of us ever in the history of the church are the ones who go into all the world. But those of us who are senders, let me be real specific. Last week, I'm just going to share briefly, but I really see in Scripture a command that we would continue to support our local church, first and foremost, with our ties, with our talents, with our, um, with our uh, ability, time, talent, treasure, that we would commit to that. I talked about how uh, in the Old Testament, a tithe or 10% was encouraged. The people of God were really commanded to give that much. In the New Testament, though, last week I shared that that continues in, and I wanted to give you some scripture, Matthew 23, 23. Jesus makes a, a comment about the tithe. He says this, talking to the religious leaders there and the Pharisees, he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, you're hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Listen to this. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And so Jesus in that is saying, yeah, listen, there's an affirmation of the Old Testament teaching on this. And so we want to bring that to you and let you know that this is what Scripture teaches. Jesus affirmed that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, uh, the Apostle Paul, writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he makes a comment to the church in Corinth about some offerings and giving that they had committed to. They had committed to helping the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was going through a time of struggle. And so they were taking offerings and they were going to give them to help. Seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So I want to encourage you as a church. We're called to make a commitment to give. This is part of being a follower of Jesus. It's part of being in the church. We're called to support the local work, what we're a part of, right? And that's first and foremost. And so I wanted to encourage you to consider tithing. Tithing means 10%. We know about uh, 20% of our church, 10 to 20% is typically the number of people that are tithing. That's just a kind of a percentage basis that's true almost everywhere. And so it's about 20% that are really committed that way and have grown to give uh, on a consistent basis. And so I'm talking to the rest, the 80%, um, that maybe haven't taken that step yet. That really it's a point of challenge for us to take a step to grow spiritually and to give intentionally and to give on a percentage basis. It's powerful to do that. Um, this principle of sowing and reaping, Paul uses in relation to finances. And there is a truth to which when we sow into something, and I've, used the, I've heard the illustration given, if you buy some stock in a company, you're probably going to watch how that company's doing. Maybe too much. You know, you might watch it all the time. 
Uh, and so, but the reality is you're invested in something. You're going to watch it. You're going to care about it. And the same is true of the work of God. When we sow into it with our finances, then we are committed at a little higher level. We're connected. And so we begin to watch what's going on. We care. We're praying. We're investing, right? We're there involved. And so there's a piece of this to which God's just trying to get us to care about what he's doing in the world. That really is what we're called to do. And so the reality is that our finances are a big part of our lives, big part of what we care about and pay attention to. And so to invest in God's work means that our hearts move in there. Our need as a church is uh, nearly $60,000 a month. God has been faithful to provide that. This year we're ahead. We have a little extra, which is awesome. Um, because believe it or not, there's plenty of work to do around here. There's plenty of things that need to be addressed. And so it's exciting to be able to do ministry and to invest in our community and invest in this church to grow it and develop it. And so uh, thank you for that. I would encourage you, though, that as the year goes on, typically that kind of drops off a little bit. And we get to the end of the year and we, ca- we need to catch up. And so I would love it this year if we just got to the end of the year and we were right on point. You know, we were right on point. So I realize that we all have different financial issues. You're not called to give out of what you don't have. Giving to the church is not meant to put you in debt or make you go under. If your business is in crisis or different things, that's not the the call here. But it really is to give out of what we have, but to give faithfully and intentionally. Um, We do support missions at about $5,000 a month. And so we give about a tenth of our our church income. In other words, the tithes we receive, about 10% of that goes to missions. I want to encourage you to consider tithing to the church and then giving to missions a percentage above that. I think that's biblical. I think that's a good practice, certainly the way I was raised and encouraged. And so um, I wanted to, to put that out there to you. I think the early church did support missions. They supported it financially. They supported it with prayer. And they supported it by sending individuals into the mission field. And that is what this church has done as well. We have been about working to accomplish the mission of God. As we continue in the book of Acts this morning, last week we looked at how the Holy Spirit came with power and that power provided a platform where the gospel was preached. That platform created multiplication. People started coming to Christ. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians in Jerusalem as a part of this early movement. And that that multiplication, that explosion of growth, brought on persecution. And today, as we continue to look at the early church, we see this persecution hit in a very heavy, hard way. There were a couple of believers who started to filter to the top as leaders in this early church. They were stepping up and taking responsibility. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were performing powerful acts of service in their, uh, in their region, in, in Jerusalem, and they were speaking boldly. One of those individuals was named Stephen. Stephen spoke boldly, bringing a message to his own people, that is the religious leaders, the Jews of his day. He brought a message to his own people of conviction, and this led to the most extreme definition of witness, which is the word martyr. Martyr means witness. Now, martyrs are those who die for their faith, and Stephen became the first martyr for the early church. But the word martyr literally means witness. He was a witness to the work of God, a witness to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. He was willing to speak boldly because it was the truth. And his speaking boldly led to him giving his life. In Acts chapter 7, if you want to follow along as I read, starting in verse 51, this is part of Stephen's 
powerful, powerful message. This is what he said to the religious leaders that he was speaking to. He gave, by the way, he, he spoke for a long time. He gave a history lesson of the nation of Israel. He started with Abraham. He went through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He went to Moses, who led, or he went to Joseph and how the people got into Egypt and Moses, who led them out into the, into the promised land. Um, and then at the end of it, he says this, you stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. I want you to feel how biting this is. Man, this guy's powerful. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors, your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you received it from the hands of angels. If Stephen would have had a sword, he wouldn't have hurt them more than with the words that he spoke. He picked up a spiritual sword and he slashed into them. And he cut through the exterior. He cut through so deep with the truth of his message that they physically responded they begin to gnash their teeth. <laughs> they begin to yelp because what he said was so powerful. He spoke the truth. They indeed were pagan at heart. They claimed to be followers of God, but their hearts were not for him. And he told them this, not to hurt them and push them away from God, but to bring about conviction so they could find salvation through the Messiah. But their response was not conviction. If it was, it, it turned to anger. And, um, and they turned on Stephen in Acts uh, chapter 7, verse 59. It says this, And they stoned him. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen spoke the truth in the hopes that there would be a breakthrough that hearts would open up, that, that eyes would be open to see the truth of who Jesus, the Messiah, was, that there would be a conviction. Now, I don't think Stephen got through to very many of the religious leaders that he was speaking to, but you can be sure that his willingness to speak the truth boldly and put his life on the line, the fact that he died speaking the truth, brought about the ability for many to see what the truth was, that Jesus was truly the Messiah. Persecution hit hard that day. And this persecution pushed the disciples to go. Acts chapter 8, moving on in the story, starting in verse 1, it says this, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church, or sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. This persecution that started with the martyrdom of Stephen pushed the disciples out of Jerusalem. Isn't it fascinating? That when the enemy moves to shut down the work of God, it only causes it to spread. 
His efforts to squash the truth result in that truth blowing up around the world. This was, of course, the command of Jesus. We've got to ask ourselves that without this persecution, would the church have moved to advance the gospel? We really don't know, but all we know is that this persecution did exactly that. And you'll notice that it spread to where? To Judea and Samaria. It began to spread with, with, um, with a passion. All of these disciples, as they spread out, they shared the gospel everywhere they went. It forced the message to spread. Going is often uncomfortable. It requires sacrifice. Jesus pushed his disciples out of their comfort zone to spread the gospel because as they go, they spread the message. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says this, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So they're pushed out of Jerusalem by persecution, by the death of Stephen, but this causes them to move out into the rest of the world, into the rest of their region, into their, their, uh, their, uh, their state and their country. And by doing so, the message of the gospel began to spread. You know, uh, when I was in college, I was finishing up uh, my term at Bible college, and I spent a year at a Christian camp, and that camp had an interest in having uh, Mary and I stay there to work. But staying there would have required raising support, And I had grown up a missionary kid living with support. Be honest with you, I just couldn't see how that would work. And so I just, I wasn't ready for that. And so I said, no. So I was looking for what what I was supposed to do following graduation. And I didn't really know. Um, One winter morning, I'm sitting on the family farm that my wife grew up on east of here. I'm sitting on a tractor feeding silage uh, to the cows. And uh, I just had a sense, overwhelming sense that God was speaking to me. And I heard him impressing on me that I needed to be there. I needed to move my family, my wife, to the farm. And so uh, you might think that's odd, but that's just how my life works. And so um, I began to pursue that. Well, I didn't grow up on the farm. I didn't grow up around it. So I thought, I'm going to go to a year. I'm going to get a year of schooling. And so I enrolled down at Curtis, Nebraska, the technical agriculture school down there, and moved my wife down there. So we get down there, and we get settled into a basement apartment, and and, uh, Mary's pregnant with our oldest, Jessica. And so uh, I remember it being, I think it was a Sunday, but it was, it was a weekend and, and she wasn't feeling well. She said, honey, go out and find me some chicken noodle soup. And so I went out, well, this is small town Nebraska. And so everything was closed, right? The, the grocery store was closed. The only thing I could find open was a convenience store. And so I drove up to this little convenience store and I parked my little Toyota pickup, got out, I walked up to the door. And as I got to the door, this little old man kind of hobbled up and he said, hey, you're from Custer County. And now, you guys know, um, in, in Nebraska, we, are, we got our counties numbered. and Just like any good Nebraskan, he knew all the counties and had them memorized. He knew that Fort County was Custer County. And my little pickup had a Fort County plate on it. So he said, uh, yeah, he knew that. So he said, yeah. Well, actually, I said, um, not really living in Custer County. We just moved from Omaha, where I finished up Bible college. And uh, just real brief, guys, it was just the flow of a conversation. I wasn't trying to lead into anything. I was, just, I was just talking to him. He engaged me in conversation, this little guy. And so I just was responding. And, and he stopped. And he looked at me after I said that. He said, really? He said, maybe you can help me. I've been praying for a long time now that God would send somebody to me who would help me know for sure that I was going to heaven when I died. I mean crazy. Those are the stories. I wouldn't believe it if I wasn't there. I expect you to look at me and go, really? 
Come on, man, what did you do? This doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's unbelievable. It is, it's crazy. Now, this little guy's name was Chaz. He uh, grew up in Oshkosh. He was a little newspaper guy. He was about 70. And uh, he was working at the newspaper in Curtis, doing his little, his little uh, you know, reporting, the college there. So he'd report on sports and different things. So, you know, as a young 23-year-old, follower of Jesus, just graduated from Bible college, when he asked me if I could help with that, I said, well, sure, Chaz, I can help. And so I uh, led him to the Lord, right? Showed him from the scriptures how he could know for sure when he died, he was going to heaven. And then uh, spent the next year, we met every week. We went through a Bible study, I discipled him to help him know and gain confidence in his faith. And then after one year, uh, decided that was enough of ag school, <laughs> moved to the farm. We had a baby, you know, all that. And so, uh, but I heard um, through, I think it was somebody probably in the, in the church there in, um, in Curtis, went to the Brian church there in Curtis, that, um, that Chaz had gotten Alzheimer's. And then within about a year from uh, us moving away, so it was about two years from when he came to Christ, Chaz was, uh, he passed away. And I just thought, um, amazing to me how God works and that going, when we go and we're willing to be ambassadors for Jesus, we're willing to go that even if it's something negative that pushes us out, that God's going to use us. He's going to use us to spread the message of the gospel. The Holy Spirit directs these early Christians as they go. He begins to direct them, just like with Chaz. That was a very pointed, direct encounter um, that I had with him that God had ordained. The same thing happened for the early church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 30, there's a, a man named Philip who was sent by the Holy Spirit to meet a man who was in a, in a, a, a chariot or a, um, you know, a, a wagon of some sorts. He was traveling from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. And the Holy Spirit sent Philip to have an interaction with him. In, in Acts chapter 8, verse 30, it says this, Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man, the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage to sit with him. The passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. This Ethiopian eunuch was a powerful, powerful man in the, uh, in the government in Ethiopia. And the Holy Spirit directed Philip to that time and location so he could interact with the eunuch, share Christ with him, and the gospel would spread to Africa. Amazing how God was working. He still works this way today, by the way. Saul, also called Paul, was also an individual that the Holy Spirit, or that God targeted. You know, Saul was fighting against the movement of Jesus. He believed, as a Pharisee, that Jesus was a false Messiah, and he was passionate about shutting down and squashing this movement. And so he was, he was uh, constantly traveling around um, Israel, putting pressure on those Christians, on those early Christians, throwing them in jail, arresting them. He was there when Stephen was stoned. Acts chapter 9. Jesus appears to Saul. 
on the road to Damascus, and he confronts Saul. A bright light, it says, appeared so bright that it blinded Saul and knocked him off his horse. And then uh, Jesus spoke to him. In Acts 9, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one who you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. We, um, Mary and I are getting to know uh, many of you, and just this last week we had lunch or dinner with a, a family who comes to church here, been coming here a while, and they're not from this area. They grew up um, east, out east uh, in the Midwest, and, and so uh, they were sharing their story with us. You know, they got married young, and, uh, and she got pregnant uh, very quickly, had a baby, and he would uh, come home from work. He'd get dressed up, and he'd go out drinking many nights of the week. And uh, she said, we're on path to divorce very quickly. <laughs> this wasn't going to work. Neither of us knew Jesus. Neither, of us, neither one of us knew anything about it. But this just wasn't working. Well, one night he came home and he started to get changed. And she said, are you going out? And he said, well, I'm going to a revival. I've been invited by a friend. And she said, oh. And he said, you can come if you want, but you don't have to. And she said, well, he'd never been in church. And I'd tried to get him there, so I was certainly going to go. And so uh, she got ready and they went to church heard the gospel, they both walked forward, made a decision to trust Christ, and a radical transformation happened. You know, he said, I didn't really feel anything that night, but the next day, I saw a poster that was a beer advertisement. And right then, I felt released, and I knew the Holy Spirit had come on me, and I was empowered to give that up and to begin to pursue a a God's calling in my life. And so he enrolled in Bible college, moved out to Colorado Springs, went to Bible college, and became a pastor. Now listen, God still moves in this way. He reaches down and calls us out to switch teams. And there are people that have been working against him. And some of you, some of us were in that position. And Jesus reached down and touched our lives, revealed himself to us. Sometimes through the work of the church, sometimes through the work of an evangelist, sometimes just through a dream, all kinds of ways that God is reaching us. We have been given the responsibility of working to reach our state or this larger region with the gospel. So what are some key opportunities to reach our Judea? We must continue to reach our world. As I shared last week, we're only ever one generation away from extinction. The gospel can end if we don't continue to pass it on. Jesus has called us to reach our state. It's interesting to me, I looked at the history of the Berean Fellowship. This church is a Berean church. And the history of the Berean fellowship is such that this fellowship was started to reach this state primarily. On Sunday, August 21st, 1932, 13 people gathered in a North Platte, Nebraska home. They came not to start a movement that would have a worldwide impact, but to pray pray together, to hear teaching from the Bible. God caused this group to grow as many people in the community placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Initially known as the Church of the Open Bible, 1935, the fledgling congregation found a more fitting name as the Berean Fundamental Church. Throughout, uh, though the word fundamental has lost favor in our culture, to those founding families it had a wonderful, simple depth of meaning. It was based on the fundamentals of the Christian faith. What does the word Berean mean? It actually comes from Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And the Bereans were a group of people that searched the scriptures to make sure that what they were being told was true. And so this movement that we're a part of now is about 60 churches, and it does span the globe, though most of the churches are in Nebraska and in this region. 
Other mission initiatives that we support, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, is a mission initiative to reach young people, mostly high school students, with the gospel. It's a solid ministry that we continue to support. We support uh, missionaries that are involved in it. We support uh, in this region. We have board members that come to our church. And FCA is a powerful, Jesus-centered mission to reach mostly high school students. The gap year program, as I just said, is something we're supporting and believe in. College students we're reaching out to through Campus Ventures. Last week we had the Hughes um, share, and they're reaching college students. Another area of need that our church has talked about in the past is small churches in the Sandhills, in rural areas, who cannot afford a pastor. And our church has had the idea of, through technology, helping to support some of those works. And I think that's something we could do in the future. Right now, we have uh, folks that go to some of those churches and help teach on Sundays and are helping to grow those little churches. It's a powerful, powerful opportunity for us to reach this state. Last year, we offered flood relief to those who were victims of that. We, um, we raised money and sent supplies to them. We do uh, those kinds of things, I think, are key opportunities that we're working on to reach our, um, our Judea, our state. We as a church are on mission. As I shared last week, our mission statement is this. We exist to see people get saved, to see saved people grow, and to encourage believers to reach the next. We do have a missionary couple who's here with us. Uh, They were able to make the trip in spite of the weather and everything else. Um, Rick and Ferry Hatton are Awana missionaries. I want to ask them to come up right now. I'm going to have them share with you. Awana is a ministry focused and aimed on helping children learn and memorize the Bible, I was a part of this as a kid, and to be honest, most of the verses that I still have memorized, I learned in Awana. And so um, we support these folks. They're missionaries for our region, and so wanted to have them come and share. Rick, share with us what God's doing through Awana these Thank days. You. Uh, on here. Okay, I appreciate being with you. My wife's here. She's actually in the uh, sound booth, going to make, uh, make me look good up here. But... Uh, We've been Awana missionaries now in the uh, High Plains area of Nebraska and southeast Wyoming for 35 years. And uh, pretty much from the get-go, the uh, Mitchell Berean Church has been part of our support team as well. Uh, Back when you were in town, and I believe Art Van Campen was your pastor back then. Uh, But uh, we started with 75 churches. We now have 110 uh, churches that we've served. We... uh, uh, do uh, several things as Awana missionaries. I could summarize it in a couple of areas. Uh, one is that we, uh, we start new Awana ministries. This year we started Awana ministries in uh, Bellevue, Nebraska, uh, Douglas, Wyoming, and then we started two new ones in Lincoln. Actually, the two in Lincoln are Asian ministries. Uh, we started one at the Korean church there and also the uh, Chinese Christian church. We were just... Uh, there, I believe, a weekend, uh, last weekend, training them in uh, their uh, ministry that they're going to be conducting there. And they're really excited about using Iwana to reach the Chinese families in Lincoln. Uh, but uh, we appreciate uh, the support you've given us through the years there. You know, uh, we live in a, in a different day. I sometimes feel like uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Uh, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, Toto. And uh, the kids today are growing up in a secular culture uh, that is unlike the culture that uh, many of us grew up in. Uh, It's uh, also, it's going to be unlike the culture that the kids are going to live in as adults. 
uh, while it's quite a bit different than ours, uh, uh, what they're going to be living in in the future is, is uh, not, it doesn't even compare to what it is today. But we live in times of unprecedented change, and uh, uh, the world is uh, shifting and moving towards a, an uncertain future. And uh, these seismic shifts uh, are impacting today's kids and actually are kind of a foreshadow of what life will be like for them as adults. One of these shifts is technology. Uh, young people today use the screens in their pocket uh, as their counselor, uh, their uh, uh, teacher, their uh, entertainer, and their sex educator. In fact, uh, most of them would rather ask Google their most personal questions rather than a parent, a pastor, or a teacher. Family is another area of, a, of shift. Uh, the breakdown of the family, uh, about 50% of the kids are going to, in our culture today, are going to see the, uh, the breakup of their parents' marriage. And when uh, family is unstable, a generation begins to look elsewhere for stability. And uh, when asked what matters most, uh, the Gen uh, Zs say uh, uh, financial success and uh, achievement are what's most important. Uh, unlike the Gen Xers and the Gen Ys who rank family a little bit higher than that. But what it means is family is no longer a primary influence uh, in the, the generation currently. Uh, the Gen Zs are discipled and impacted and influenced by peers and their phones. Uh, the culture is another one. The post-Christian culture that we live in challenges and attacks Christian belief. And uh, these kids, as they approach adulthood, this antagonism is going to be aimed directly at them and say that uh, your Christian thought and your Christian thinking is no longer an acceptable part of our culture. A fourth one is the decline of the church uh, in, as far as a priority in people's lives. Uh, church attendance is declining in many areas. And uh, in fact, uh, the most devoted uh, churchgoers will probably attend a few times less in the coming year. Uh, some of the data shows that children in church uh, attend only 1.7 times a month. Uh, that's uh, only two hours a month of spiritual discipleship. And uh, you uh, contrast that with uh, the amount of time that kids are spending on their phones, and uh, it should give all of us pause. The kids today, uh, uh, the church of 2050, uh, the church that our kids will be leading, is going to be situated in a different culture. In many ways, it is going to be like spiritual, uh, a spiritual Babylon and uh, a, a digital Babylon. And uh, the kids are going to need to be discipled in a way that few generations before have had to be discipled. Uh, they're going to need to be resilient. Uh, resilient like Hayden Philpot, who showed up one September day uh, early to pray with his friends at the CU at the Pole. Uh, Hayden arrived early, and uh, as it would turn out, uh, he would be the only one that showed up that day at the CU at the Pole. And yet Hayden stayed and he prayed alone. Hayden is a portrait of what a resilient disciple looks like. At Awana these days, we are calling for a uh, 
resilient discipleship, a deeper level of child discipleship in the lives of kids. And we believe in the fearless future of the church. Uh, We believe the church is powerfully poised to make a difference in the lives of boys and girls and these young people. In fact, most of us uh, in our spiritual story, uh, for most of us, the fact that there was a church in our lives was an important part of our story. There's no single factor that contributes to uh, resilient discipleship, uh, but there are three factors that work together to do that in combination. One is to believe, to know who Jesus is, and to be known uh, by a body of believers. Uh, The other is to believe, placing their faith in Jesus and applying the word to their lives. And the third is become uh, reproducing their own spiritual discipleship. And while these concepts are not new, what is uh, new about the, what we're wanting to emphasize is the, the importance of belonging, uh, the importance of a caring adult in a child's life. Keith Farron has said, an adult who loves you, who doesn't have to, will change your life. Uh, it's also been said that the number one factor in contributing uh, in determining whether a child is going to do well is whether or not they had an adult to put their arm around them on their shoulder and say, I will walk this with you. And many of us can look back in our own lives of childhood and, and point to individuals, to adults, uh, who are those types of people in our lives. And uh, what we're encouraging the church to do is to realize the importance that they have uh, with the children in the church, not only uh, kids from the outside, but even Uh, children of uh, families in the church, it's very helpful that those families have other adults in their lives who can uh, help and encourage them in that. Uh, On a personal note, uh, recently I was hospitalized with a a severe bout of gastro bleeding. Uh, Early in uh, February, uh, I I had a bleeding episode. It was brought in by eating too much popcorn. Uh, I have uh, issues with diverticulosis and uh, uh, anyway, it got so severe that I ended up in the hospital for three days receiving three units of blood and two units of, of plasma. When I uh, went into the ER um, this, for the second time, my hemoglobin was down to 5.4. It's normally should be about 12 to 15. Uh, but I thank God for watching over me uh, and protecting me because uh, a heart failure is a very real possibility with levels nearing 5. I just had it checked uh, the other day, and it's 13.6, so it's back up in a normal range, and I'm feeling a lot more strength. Uh, I was having to take a nap after uh, showering, after eating, and, and, uh, and such, so uh, I appreciate that. But some ways you can be praying for us. Uh, we want to thank the Lord for protection during my physical crisis. Uh, thank Him for the care that I received from my wife and others in our uh, church family and friends. Uh, also, we uh, are grateful for the increase in strength. Uh, we also want to pray that uh, continue to stay healthy in these days and also that I have no more uh, bleeding. I have given up popcorn, by the way, uh, trying to figure out what it's going to be like living a world without popcorn. That's going to be tough. But anyway, uh, pray for travel safety as uh, we put a lot of miles on the road and uh, these winter months. Also, uh, pray for wisdom as we uh, work with churches. Again, the, the day we live in is, is, is different, 
the kids are having more and more issues, uh, especially a lot of emotional behavior we're seeing, and, and we're having to, uh, to help uh, volunteers to deal with uh, different scenarios in the church. And uh, so there's challenges. You know, I thought I'd have this down after 35 years, but culture's throwing us some curves, and, mm. and we have to keep uh, meeting those challenges. And so we appreciate your prayers and helping for that. I also would like to pray for new ministries, Awana Ministries. I'd like to see new uh, ministries in Grand Island, Kearney, York, uh, Ogallala, and uh, Geneva are some of the communities that we'd like to see new Awana uh, ministries. But we do thank you for your uh, prayers and support. And uh, we uh, have a sign-up sheet on the table back there. And uh, if you'd like to get our e-prayer letter, you can sign up on that and we'll add you to the list. I do have copies of Awana's new book, Resilient. Uh, if uh, you care to have one, they, you can uh, just uh, make a $10 donation there, and uh, you can pick a book up. But anyway, we do thank you, and it's great to be with you this weekend. Thank you. <clears throat> hey, Rick, would you stay up here a minute? If we've got, could some of our elders come up um, and, and pray for these guys? And uh, could the worship team come up too? <clears throat> and we'll have a, after we pray, we'll, we'll sing a song together. Um, listen, there's a couple of ways as everybody's coming up that I want to uh, challenge you as you leave. One is to connect with our missionaries. Um, we've got a table out here. We've got information on them. I want you to become their biggest fan for one of them. So take the time to connect and then support. I challenge you to consider this week um, giving on a percentage basis, giving intentionally. Uh, take the time to pray through that. Um, I think it'll pay off in big ways as you do. James, would you pray for our... Father God, we thank you for today. And uh, Lord, we just ask that... Uh, of all the missionaries that we have here, uh, they deal with uh, physical issues, and there's just uh, stress that goes along uh, with going out and being uh, missionaries for Christ. We just thank you for watching over them and protecting them and giving, sustaining them uh, through each day and each year, Lord. We just thank you for that. We thank you for their blessing, um, and we thank you for this time that they've been here. Uh, this month. Thank you for uh, them answering the call uh, that you have put in their hearts uh, to reach others for Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen.